0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Well, hello there. It's been a minute, but we've managed to pull two of the three Musketeers together for a little old chinwag. Since we last caught up, Manchester United have won a cup. Casemiro's been sent off twice. Liverpool are eighth. Chelsea are eleventh. Graham Potter's been sacked. And somehow... Frank Lampard is Chelsea manager again. I could go on and on and on, but we've got a show to do, and Dale is getting restless. You're of course very welcome to the latest installment of the Stredicast. Dale, my man, it has been a while. How are you getting on? How's things? How's life?
2: Brilliant. I want to start by saying i never get restless listening to your voice. Um <laughs> but, but no, t- things have been good since we last spoke. I know you mentioned uh, the the cup we won. Um that was the, the League Cup final, which I was which I was at, and it was an amazing day out, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um but yeah, we've had some lows too, you know, since then. We've had mm-hmm. some heavy he- heavy defeats, we've had some, you know, some kind of slipping up a little bit in that race for top four, but you look at the teams around us um, and they're showing absolutely no consistency. So, you know, I'm still very optimistic about getting that top fourth place.
1: Oh, yeah, as am, I, as am I. And I suppose, look, it's, it's probably nearly three months since we've sat down and actually had a proper conversation here. There's been so much has happened and there's any number of topics that we could start speaking about. But realistically, I suppose we have to look at a takeover. It's the biggest news that's there and it's the news that's not going away. But... For news that's not going away, there's not a whole pile happening, is there?
2: Yeah, I think when this announcement was made a few months ago about the Glazers willing to listen to offers, there was a kind of a sense of, um I suppose, cautious optimism. People are cautiously optimistic about this because we've been waiting so long for the Glazers to get out of town. You know, 17 years of protests and you know, they haven't changed the way. I think they've got to a point now where their model, their business model has kind of reached a dead end where they don't know where to move and they're looking for investment and maybe the best offer. But it's, it, now it's hard to be kind of optimistic at all. It's just taken so long. There's so much whispering that they could remain. They could welcome on investors. And I think that's the worst case scenario for Manchester United, I really do. Um. It, then again, uh, Sean, I don't know how you feel about this. I want to ask you about the bidders because looking on social media, People are very, very keen to take sides here. Um, they're either in the camp of Qatar, they're in the camp of Sir Jim Radcliffe, or, or I, I think in smaller cases, there's a, a guy from Finland that's <laughs> big enough, a bit of a publicity. Uh, He's got but,
1: two funny ideas, doesn't he?
2: Yeah, but on a serious note, what have you made of, of, of kind of what you see on social media from, from fans, people that read, people that listen to this, po- this, this podcast, that may be taken... I guess, premature sides in in this argument. I think it really typifies the the
1: nature of the beast that is the Manchester United fan base on social media. I I know there's a lot of fickle opinions with regards to everything, particularly on Twitter. But when it comes to Manchester United on Twitter, on social media, there's always a divide. People will argue about the colour of the sky if they can in relation to Manchester United. So when you pit two completely opposite spectrums of the financial world, two mega rich individuals, one representing, I suppose, a, a whole host of humanitarian issues and a whole host of topics that Western society are not willing to comprehend and don't want to comprehend. And then on the other aspect, you're looking at Sir Jim, who by all accounts is is a lifelong red, but obviously as we've discussed on this podcast many times, was quite keen on buying Chelsea as well, but he's a guy who's coming in very successful businessman and he's going to have a board of very successful business minds alongside him. Now in terms of how people have vindicated their opinion on social media, far be it from me to tell them that they're wrong. Mm. I, I think as, as football fans, we often get very convoluted with regards to our ideals about how, a football team should be run about how what should happen on a pitch, what should happen in a boardroom. And ultimately, Manchester United fans have been scarred for all of the torment that we've been put through with our current ownership. And it's very, very hard to build up that trust. So then when you're looking at people coming from the outside in, naturally you're, you're, you know, your back is up against the wall and, and, and you're going to start trying to find flaw in whoever comes in to buy the club. Something you and I have spoken about many, many times before we seem to get this idea that we can control who's actually going to buy the football club. When realistically speaking, the money that is going, if this actually comes to fruition, the money that has to swap hands to make it happen, you're talking colossal money with a very, very small percentage of people that can actually get in that equation in terms of how people have separated on the, on the, uh, on social media. It went from Sir Jim being the, the knight in shining armor to a couple of weeks, an endless amount of polls, just damning him. And it was a very, very small percentage of people, by and large, on Twitter. I know now you can look at stuff like with Andy Mitten and you can see that the vast majority of the percentage of people in the poll that he ran at that time was looking for Sir Jim to come in. But it really, really shows the fickle nature of our fan base and just how fractured it is. But also, I think it really, really identifies the amount of people that support the football club on the opposite side of the planet. You know, people who've got differing opinions to you and I, and ultimately, I think whoever comes in, if God willing, it does happen, someone is going to be unhappy.
2: Yeah, no, you can't please everyone. I think we all know that. It's just interesting because with some of the backlash that could happen from, say, a Qatari takeover and how that mm. could upset so many people. You know, we've seen with when the Glazers took over, there was a, a, section, of, a section of Manchester United fans that, that kind of broke off, stopped going. Formed a, a different club in the FC United of Manchester, and went their separate ways. They were fed up with modern football, and like I, I respect um, their decision to do that. But I, but I'm just wondering, you know, if a backlash of that could happen this time round, um, with Qatar, the human rights issue, and what 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 could lead? You know, it would be sad to see more fans break away. But you mentioned how kind of how split the fan base is right now. You just wonder what would happen if, if a takeover did happen. But but that's, that, that's all it is right now, isn't it, Sean? You know, you get these reports every few weeks. All we're doing is wondering what if, what if, what if the Glazers stay? Because then that 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 carries on then to what we can achieve or what we can do in the summer. Eric Ten Hag is in the process now of ass- assessing his squad, deciding which players he wants to carry into his second season. And he doesn't yeah. know who's going to own the club or how much money he's going to have available to improve that squad. You know, we all have great ideas about what Manchester United should be doing this summer, centre forwards, midfielders, goalkeepers, whatever you want. But At the end of the day, a lot banks on whether this takeover happens between now and the end of the season.
1: It does, absolutely. And this is, I suppose, where a lot of the frustration is coming in because you have a lot of fans and, let's say, the real hardcore that we're looking at, maybe something happening this quicker. You know, so like, because we, we just seem to be sitting around and waiting. And as you're touching upon with owners coming in in summer, a lot of people would like to have some sort of a notion as to what's occurring. So as Eric Tan Hag could maybe have this transfer kitty, that people are looking at, the, at an ideal summer, a proper rebuild, that he can just go all gunning for what it is he's looking for next season. It's funny when we're speaking that you see that shortly after seven o'clock this evening that the 1958 have announced their next protest. They're going to be protesting at home to Villan on April 30th and saying that they held back for a reason. Now you know why. They call us back in November. Plans and details to follow. You are either with the fans or with the Glazers.
2: For you, for us, for each other. So it just goes to show. I've see, seen a few reactions to this. And just a small few people kind of taking the piss out of, out of these protests and kind of suggesting that their marches, just marches. But that's all a protest needs to be. And I've said this in the podcast before about... Um, some of the work is going behind the scenes from 1958 and ensuring these protests take place. We need to keep making noise. You know, in this process of, of bidders coming in, people showing interest, we need everyone in the world to see the fans are unhappy. You know, at the weekend, the game against Everton at Old Trafford, BT Sport fanta- got a fantastic shot as the players were coming out of the tunnel and they're really focused on the tunnel with the Glazers out banner. I thought it was amazing because I've seen other weeks with Sky Sports, actually at the weekend with Match of the Day, they don't focus on it. It's actually a quick little zoom, and they out. BT Sport really, really focused on it. I think it's so important that with these protests, right, the 1958 aren't going to get rid of the Glazers. They're not going to force them to sell, but I think it's important that the whole world sees how pissed off and fed up United fans are. You know what people that are kind of taking the piss out of this what do they have to suggest what's the alternative what's their idea
1: well that's it and, and it's something it. that's very admirable as well you know when, when when you're looking at the football you know you were at the cup final when you're either in stadium or you're watching it there's there's a massive representation of people going out of their way that even at a point if we get a second or a third goal that you know this is it now we have three points today then everybody stands up and starts screaming that they want the Glazers out. You yes. know, it's and it's emphasizing this point and more and more of the commentators are picking up on it as well. If you're watching it on the television, they can see that, you know, well, this is going good. United are just about to lift the cup, but they're still screaming that they want the Glazers out. And this is the way it should be.
2: It's quite amazing. You pick up on it. there some of the commentators. They're even picking up on, on the chance and it happened again at Everton. After all the goals went in straight away, Glazers out chance. Mm. Um, it's funny because these commentators that are commentating in the game are picking up on it. There's something in the water at, at TalkSport. Because those fuckers are convinced that we never sing about it. We only sing about it when we're losing. It happens every week this season. You know, the 1958, done it every week this season, protests, every home game. Every home game protests. Now, these protests, people are joking. They're not, not changing that. What do you want them to do? They're just making noise. And that's exactly what they need to do. And, and make sure the message is being sent to everyone. that we're not happy.
1: But again, like this is drawn back in what we were saying about the potential owners. I mean, you got the nineteen fifty eight trying to do something, okay, and and immediately social media jumps on this argument as to is it actually benefiting or is it just a glorified march and selling merch, you know? So mm-hmm. it's just a continuation of this fractured fan base that is never going to be happy. We're never going to have a fan base that's one hundred percent happy. But what the guys are doing is they're going out, they're making noise, they're 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 making attention, they're making. Pictures, You know, the, the, these aerial shots of mass marches with, 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 with those banners, with, with flares. That's what we need, because otherwise, what else do we have there? There's nothing else we, we, we can sit down, you can type angry messages, you can put, send angry tweets out there. But that's not really doing anything. And people will argue that this isn't going to do anything either. It's better than nothing. And you have to credit them for going out there and actually trying and putting themselves forward for this. Well, l-
2: l- listen to the two things we're talking about here. We, United fans, or some United fans complaining about these protests not being, being enough. And then we have a section of the media, <coughs> talk sport, that suggests that we, we don't even talk, we don't sing about the glazes only when we're losing. You know, so know. You, can't, you can't keep anybody happy. You know, there's no, there's no middle ground. We do one thing, people are complaining about it. We're not doing enough. You know, it's, it's just it's a merry-go-round, and I suppose that's just social social media for you. It's a cockpit of shit, it's constant nagging, and people arguing, and people, I don't know, all over the place. But look, that that that's what this um this takeover is going to probably bring for the coming weeks. It's been it's dragging on now. These takeovers are going to take time, um. But I think I know what I mentioned having this done before the the transfer window would help Eric Ten Hag. But in the bigger picture for me though, Sean is that. However long it takes, I hope this is the end. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: It just needs to be done and dusted with now. And look, I, I'm trying to be as pragmatic about it all as I possibly can. And so much has accelerated. And I know they'll always have the caveat to fall back on what we never actually said we were selling. We said we were looking at alternative and the different financial possibilities. Can you imagine the backlash the Glazers would face if they didn't sell the club now? It's 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 dangling that carrot in front of uh, that proverbial carrot. It's, it's dangling it there. It's 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 teasing that yeah yeah we're going. We just need the right amount. If they turned around and they said, you know what, we're not going to bother. I mean, I, I I hate to think of what damage would be done around the area.
2: I, I'm not going to suggest what I think will happen because that could get me into trouble. But all I'm going to say is a repeat or maybe what happened against Liverpool when the game was suspended tenfold. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Then you could even see it from the last hour and a half from the confirmation of the next protest. You've already got people saying the only thing that's going to work here is getting the game stopped. You know, so you have that little contingent that, and it's not such a little contingent. It might seem like a small contingent. There's a big enough contingent there that want that to happen. So it's better that they look. They better start getting their wheels in motion and just start realizing that the time is up now. It's time to get over and done with and. Allow Manchester United
2: to start focusing on football for once, you know and that's um, it. we just started a podcast, and we're talking about these fucking leeches not nothing about football yet I know, I know.
0: <laughs>
1: Well, let's, let's, let us let us let us do that then let's forget about the leeches let's focus on the football. let's look at the side because it's something I was actually speaking about today with a good bunny of mine i hadn't I hadn't spoken to him in probably about three four weeks. He's obviously had a couple in him when he was speaking to me and making mention, oh, how are United doing? You know, it's a little bit hit, it's a little bit miss. I keep falling back on the same thing. If we could go back six, seven months, and I could speak to myself from six or seven months ago, and I could say, look, I'm going to give you the 11th of April, you've got the League Cup in the bag, you've got an FA Cup semi-final, a quarter-final in Europe, and you're level on points with third place in the league. I'd have taken both of your hands off, hmm. and I'd have asked for change. You know, it's absolutely fantastic, and When you're looking at it over the last three games, we had a bit of disappointment in Newcastle back at the start of April. But since then, two clean sheets, two victories over Brentford, who were on a high, it only lost once in 16 games, and Everton, who are gunning for every single point they can. We've oversaw that difficult three-game period without Casemiro. But as well as welcoming him back, we've also welcomed back Christian Eriksen. Now, I know there's uncertainty about Marcus Rashford at the moment, but we have a situation where we're welcoming back arguably two of our most pivotal members of the centre of the field that can control these games. We got Sevilla coming up on Thursday. It's good vibes, there.
2: Yeah, no, having those two back, Ericsson and Casemiro, I actually thought when when Ericsson got that injury in January um, and we got over that hump of the, the, the kind of fixture congestion around the League Cup final, I thought our form, our performance levels dipped a little bit. Um, and people were kind of suggesting that, that could have been down to fatigue and all these games being up on top of each other. But it was no, no, it's no wonder now. You look at the the difference that Eriksson made at the start of the season, and then his injury had, and then we were playing games with Fred and McTominay midfield again. I know mm. they've had some good games, but let, let let's call it a spade a spade. The, the big difference with, with Eriksson and his class is when he receives the ball, he's able to do it on a half turn, put his head up. And find one of the players out wide and get that ball forward, a bit of creativity. It's not something that Fred and McTominay possess, and we really missed it. Then when Casemiro was out with the suspension, we just do not have an alternative option to Casemiro in the squad. We have nobody that can come in and do the job half as good as he can do it. And it it's huge. And I think although Rashford's going to be out for a few weeks, hopefully it's not too long. I think having those two in midfield, Sean, we'll score goals. We score goals, those two can open up defense with passes in ways that other, other midfielders cannot do. And I think there would be an absolute big bonus of this part of the season. Now, the, the big thing with, with us is Casemiro plays against Seville on Thursday night. He's walking a suspension tightrope already. You know, a yellow card, and he's out in the next game. Am I correct? Be... I
1: Bruno is the same?
2: Bruno is the same, yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, Casemiro, he, he's, he's missed eight games this season, eight or nine games through suspension. Um the most he's missed in any any season and um, suspension. So that's something that I think maybe needs to be addressed. But also you look at the suspension he's had and, and the and the I think the arguments that we could put forward that some of them were quite harsh, especially when you see what's happened in the Premier League in recent weeks and the disasters that have occurred with VAR, um and the inconsistencies, you know, Casemiro might have an argument to say that he's been he's been dealt with harshly.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And This is the issue that people have. I mean, by and large, when you look at VAR, VAR supplies issues. VAR isn't the issue. VAR is supplying issues as a result of some of the individuals that are sitting down and making those decisions, especially when they have to turn around the morning after a game and apologize for decisions that are made the previous day. The largest thing is inconsistencies. It is inconsistency in decision. And that is what is causing the most frustration because you're seeing... Casemiro, see a red card, get a three-match suspension. Just go back to the Everton game, and you look at Jimmy Garner. He didn't go in with intent on Aaron wan Basaka, but he kept a leg in there, and he could have hurt Aaron very, very much so with a follow-through. A lot of pressure down his leg with his studs and extremely reminiscent Uh, you could actually even argue that it was a little bit more physical than what casemiro did yet it doesn't even receive a yellow card and that's where the inconsistencies occur and that's where the frustration comes because particularly when it's casemiro because as you said i'm I'm, I'm drawn back an awful long time to try to remember somebody who had such a a a pivotal influence on this site like when he is absent it's not only do you lack his quality on the field and and the talent that he obviously possesses, I almost feel that the the other players are nervous. You know, when you get that sort of nervous factor about a footballer on the field, you talk about it all the time with goalkeepers and defenders and that relationship that they have. Defenders can be nervous because of a goalkeeper behind them. A goalkeeper can be nervous because of the centre-back pairing that's in front of them. I think Casemiro oozes this sense of control throughout the entire team. And when he's missing it's almost like not only it, it reverberates from the players into the stands and into the fans. It's, his presence is absolutely immense. But also, as we touched upon with, with Christian Eriksen, I also think he can have an, a, a calming influence as well because the level of control that he can have over a game is absolutely tremendous. And one of the things that's fantastic, and it's something that we haven't been able to say in all the time that you and I have been talking, we now have a situation where we have a full-fit midfield to select from. And you're talking about, more than likely, Casemiro Eriksson, Bruno Leighton, a midfield three. You've got someone like Sabitzer on the bench to be able to come on the bench as an option. Now, that is real quality. It's real quality option football that sets you up really, really well for this, this run and for this top four. We know how tight it is. We know how difficult it is with Spurs and Newcastle. And every single mistake has been punished even their mistakes should be punished by us. But we're going now into a run-in where Newcastle have got a pivotal three weeks, All right, Newcastle's next game is away to Aston Villa, who are absolutely flying under Unai Emery. I mean, they have come on so, so well. Really, really shines a light just on how poor Stephen Gerrard was as Aston Villa manager. But Unai Emery has led Villa. He's, what do I know, sixth place? So Newcastle away to Aston Villa. And then the following Sunday, they welcome Spurs, And then the week after that, they're away to Everton. So they have this pivotal three-week period whereby it's really going to be put to them. Their squad is going to be put to the test. And then the opposite side of that, we're coming up against Nottingham Forest next. And we have all these players coming back, fighting fit. Yes, we have the European competition, the FA Cup competition. But I genuinely feel we're welcoming other players, including Anthony Martial, back at the exact right time to be able to have a solid run at this.
2: You'd wonder, looking at the teams around us, how many more wins it take to secure that top four place. You would be a very brave man to even
1: try to lay five euro on that because there's so much football left to be played. Spurs have got eight games. Newcastle and United have both got nine games. As I said, in two weeks' time, Newcastle play Spurs. We still have to to play Spurs. There's so much football to be played. And there's an awful lot of twists and turns in this. Yet I think all three teams could drop points. I mean, what are United sitting at currently? We're at 56 points as are Newcastle. Nine games left. Talking 33 points to be collected. I mean, could you be confident in saying you could collect 25 or 26 points out of that?
2: Forest, your fancy has to be Forest at the moment. Then, then we run into a tough um, run of league fixtures considering what's around us because we're away to Spurs, then we're home to Villa. And you mentioned as they've climbed up the table now and, and are kind of part of that conversation. Um, then we're away to Brighton, you know, Brighton are a good side. Yeah, I think the good. one thing that really stands out in the run-in for us is
1: our last four games. We play West Ham, Wolves, Bournemouth and Fulham. So in the context of what you could look at for a favourable run-in in the Premier League,
2: there are four teams that you take at the start of the season if you were looking for a running. It's Absolutely. not that it's- yeah, we've actually forgotten too. There's Chelsea trying to the Knicks because that game hasn't been given a confirmed date yet as well. So. That's
1: right. That's right. I actually I read something yesterday to state that the only free game week for that will be the last game week.
2: Yeah, I think they have to change now. It could be the second of May now. Could be the second of May. Which, if that's true, it can't be the second of May. That's two days before we play Brighton. It wouldn't make sense. But look, it's the Premier League. You just don't know. Premier League happen. But, yeah. but what,
1: we're, what we're looking at as well, the top four, obviously massive. And as I said, you'd be a brave man to get something. I will be confident that we'll get the top four.
2: Look, the teams around us, Sean, you're looking at Spurs, just sacked their manager. Mm. From one week to another, they're just so, so inconsistent. So, so inconsistent you look at our Liverpool part of the conversation now? Don't think so. Newcastle, right? I know they're going through a a decent run of games right now, maybe since the League Cup final defeat. But this season, they've drawn far too many games. And you mentioned, you know, look at their next three games coming up. There's points there that are probably going to drop. Probably going to drop. And teams around us are dropping points. There's no one really, there's no one in this top four race that I think has been consistent.
1: No, no, no. Outside of the the top two, and obviously you're fitting into that then as well, that when Newcastle face Spurs the following week, they play Everton. They have one week in between where they play Southampton, but then they ha- they, uh, they welcome Arsenal. You know, so there's, there's big games to be played. There's lots of football to be played. Um, I suppose the one thing that you'd look at with Spurs and Newcastle is the fact that their sole focus is on the league. Obviously, where we have the two cups, but we have the squad, we have the players to be able to facilitate that. And... I'm still confident United get a top four finish. But coming up, I want to just touch on one thing here. We got Sevilla coming up on Thursday. Huge game, obviously, for the rest of the season and for the the credence of the European pedigree that we have will be Eric Ten Hag's 50th game in charge. Feels like last week he arrived. 50 games in charge already. And from those 49 games that he's played, he's amassed 71.4% win ratio. And what's even... More funny, Dale, is two weeks ago, people were calling for his head.
2: Yeah, you're going to get that after a, after a bad result with your manager at Manchester United, unfortunately. But look, the thing with Eric Ten Hag is I've been so, so impressed this season. And I'm not going to say I'm surprised because there was just glor- glor- glorifying reviews about him um, when he left Ajax. And anyone that that'd seen Ajax in the Champions League under him could see they were, they were a seriously well-drilled outfit. Um, And they were winning all around them in Holland too. So look, the pedigree was there. But what I will say is there's going to be more wobbles along the way. There's definitely going to be more wobbles along the way. But this man just oozes confidence, oozes the right kind of, in his words, I guess, vibes. He brings the right vibes to the table. And I love what I've seen this season. Sean, you touched on how if, if you mentioned we could be in the top four race with a League Cup and still in FA Cup mm-hmm. in Europa League six months ago, you take your hands off. Honestly, if you said to me at the end of last season we're going to appoint a manager and I was going to be this happy with what I've seen, I would not believe it It was possible. You know, this team last year, I mentioned so many times, we fell out of love with it, throwing the towel in. We've seen the way Ali was sacked and how Ragnick came in, it a pure car crash. Players had given up. But this man has lifted that dressing room, a task that many of us thought was impossible because we all bought into what Ragnick said when he said the 10 players need to be sold this summer. You know, we all say that a lot of us greed saying, yeah, this dressing room is destroyed. He's got rid of a few players, but he's proven a lot of fucking people wrong. A lot of people wrong with with, with some players. And I know Dallow's not going through the, the, the best part of the season right now, but his form in the first half of the season, absolutely class. Wambasaka coming out of his shell after Christmas. Absolutely class. Now, these aren't things that people jump to because they're going to jump to how impressive his new signings have been. But I'm looking at the small things he's done. You know, Dallow, at the start of the season, people didn't even want to new right back next season if he, if he kept that up. You know, which is yeah. a massive testament, massive testament. So, look, I, I, I think it's going to be more bo- or kind of wobbles along the way. We'll have a few heartbreaks, but look. Ken Hag is, is, is the right man and we're on the right track.
1: Oh, certainly. And I think we're, I think an easy way of putting it, we're probably about 12
2: months ahead of where we should be. Where we should be, yeah. Because next season, Sean, what, what our aim is to win the league. 100%. Well, I
1: suppose next season, based on what we're seeing now, you'd you'd, you'd at least want the side to be going in and being competitive for the league. Yes.
2: Totally to be risk. there, thereabouts. Yeah. You,
1: know, yeah. you know, you'd want them to be competitive and, coming into this sort of situation, I know we've had a bit of an anomaly with fixtures over what's happened with the international around Christmas, but when you're in around okay. April, if we're still in the conversation come April next year, then that's, that's all anybody wants. And to, and to be in that question, but we're looking now at a situation where obviously we've discussed, you know, that you would have taken your hand off and thinking all old adage that came every single year for the last three or four years. We'll take a cup and top four. We'll take a cup and top four. We'll take a You know that's that's all fans seem to be looking at, and then you sort of get the general rationale behind it is, oh, look how far you've fallen. But a cup and top four is all we were looking for every single season, and now we're looking at the potential of three cups and a top four finish to go along with it. And all the while, we've not even had a number nine. You know, so this did, boils did back you, to what we said at the Did
2: To truly though, to truly kind of sum up what he's done. It's the, the feeling around the ground, It's feeling that at Old Trafford on match day. You yeah. know, I, I got the feeling last season, it was, it was the five nil against Liverpool. I'm talking about, but before the game, we didn't really, we had nothing to really play for. Season was still fairly early on. We're coming up to Christmas, and it felt like the season was nearly over. We would nothing. We were going nowhere. And you mentioned about being in the conversation. I like guess. Old Trafford uh, has come on a million times this his last season, the mood around the place. And it's all to ta- he's all to thank.
1: He is. And you look at it, we're the, we're the 11th of April filming this. It was the 5th of March that we went to Anfield. Now, numerous Manchester United teams since Alex Ferguson has walked away. If they had endured what had happened in Anfield a little over a month ago. Those players would be done mentally. They'd be finished. There'd be no bringing them back up. It didn't matter whether there would have been 5, 10, 15, 20 games of that season left. Those players would be gone. Their heads would be finished. You know, you'd have a a desolate looking manager sitting in the dugout. Instead, we turned out the very, very next day and put four past Real Betis. You know, you've got a manager still standing there looking confident. You've the players still playing for him. So even despite the odd little setback that's happening, the players back him. The players clearly believe what like, what, what they're... They, they've, it's not that they're buying in. They've already bought into what it is he's selling. And they understand that this guy clearly knows what he's talking about. The feel-good factor is back in Old Trafford. The feel-good factor is on the dugout. You can see it even with Steve McLaren. McLaren just looks so happy. You know, every time that they, they, they zoom in on him, he just looks like he's just so, so happy and that he's really, really appreciative that he's sitting alongside a guy who clearly... He has the world here. He has it. And I know... We're starting to get uh, one or two little unsavoury comments about Ten Hag and how he's he's roughing up people the wrong way. But this is a guy that he lives who, in Brazil.
2: Who, who, who Ronaldo?
1: But... <laughs> the most recent one that I saw was the um, the manager of Palmeiras over in Brazil. <laughs>
2: yes, shut up! <laughs>
1: yeah, I told Ten Hag to shut up over Ashford. But no, this this is a guy. He's come in and I forgot. It's like he's after waving a magic wand. It really is because to, look, to take the side and not even have a full year and to achieve even what he has achieved thus far, we we couldn't have dreamed it there. Go back look, twelve months; we couldn't dream this like To,
2: to, to give a bit of balance, look—it's clear to see. Anyone listen to this podcast, if, if they're not if they're not on the same boat as us. We are massive admirers of Ten Hag, but there has been there has there's a few things that need to be worked on. And it's first season. Like for instance, what we've seen this year is two or three long winning runs. But when those winning runs came to an end, they really collapsed. You know, we talking about that game against Liverpool. The game, I think it was one of the games that the win and run ended was against City as well. And there were bad defeats, really bad defeats. So what this team needs needs to learn to do, I know it's kind of a strange, it's a strange um request. But when they lose and when things go wrong, it can't go that wrong. Yeah, can't be yeah. losing four nil, five nil, six nil, and getting a tonkin. Can't be that bad. So that's just the, these are things that look. You're going to have issues and little things you want worked on after a manager's first season. But overall, I think people listening to this can see that we're very, very happy, very, very positive with the direction Manchester United are heading. It.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean. If if we if we were sitting here in April in his first year and saying there was nothing he needed to work on, then there's something terribly, terribly wrong. I mean, you've touched upon losing with a bit of dignity and I suppose on a day knowing when, all right, maybe it's time to shore up now, throw in the towel, yes. lick our wounds and just move away because we've, we've gone to City, we've shipped six goals. We've gone to Liverpool, we've shipped seven goals. You know, we've gone to Arsenal, conceded a last-minute winner. We've gone to Newcastle the last day conceded 2 when really and truly we could have conceded 3, 4 or 5 and, and, and you wouldn't have batted an eyelid because Newcastle were good on the day and it wasn't that Newcastle were doing anything, tearing up roots and just reinventing the game, Newcastle were good, they did what they needed to do and we were extremely poor and ultimately those little things need to be niggled out, they need to be worked out there's good responses but the one thing that we hated speaking about 12 months ago, 2 years ago was that we hated following a side that was reactionary and you don't want to be reactionary you know, and, and, and look, there's those little beads. And one, I, I think it's another little caveat you have to look at as well. He comes, Tanhai comes under a lot of praise for his decision-making during a game and how he always knows how to make the correct substitution to impact a game. Well, look, if you really, <laughs> really wanted to be hard on it, you could point the finger and say, well, should you have to be changing so many games? If you got your tactical set up right in the beginning, then you shouldn't have to be altering oh,
2: it. No, no, that's a good well, point. You know, I, think, that's I, think that is, I think that's a good point because look how many games this season you could say that in the first half you wouldn't have been happy and then the second half they come out and they they play really well and that's not just actually as a matter of fact that's not just something you can pin on Eric Ten Hag it's actually something you can pin on Manchester United post Ferguson if you remember under Moyes we didn't have any any really good halves but, but Van Hal at times was or Mourinho even. We, we could play well in segments of games, 20 minutes or so. And that was it. That was it. Maybe not the case in their Van Havre, but Mourinho and Solskjaer. We could get a good half, but it would never be 90 minutes, never be a case of domination. And there's been little signs of that this season again. So it's maybe not something you can pin on on Ten Hag, but it's something that we want addressed um, in, in the future, maybe.
1: Absolutely. One last thing I want to push on, you know, and nice and straightforward, but Thursday evening quarterfinal leg one against Sevilla and Old Trafford kickoff at eight o'clock. What are you thinking for that particular game? Are you confident?
2: Yeah, I am confident. I was just, just on this because before all, every game United play, I on my way to kind of try and find a fan of the opposition to answer some questions in the blog. And I love doing this feature on the blog because I get a different perspective ahead of a game. Mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised by the, the pre-match chat I had with a Seville fan before this one because usually when you when you speak to fans of Spanish teams, they're very, very respectful of Manchester United and you know what a big club it is and all that, but um they're, they're feeling're quite arrogant about this, and you know I don't think arrogant's the right word, but you look at the form this season in the league, they're in the bottom half of the table. They've had three they're, in, they're, they're on their third manager this season. Things clearly aren't going well for Seville this year. And they need a lot of work in the transfer window. So, yeah, I am confident. I, I, I probably shouldn't say I think we will hammer them. But I think we will have a comfortable win. I think we will go away and beat them as well.
1: Well, I'll share your confidence that we'll progress. But I want to put something to you because I'm not sure you're aware of this. I mean, just touching on what you said about their season. Yes, their season has been very erratic. And in European competition, Sevilla are currently 11 games without a win away from home. But there is two little Achilles alongside that they have progressed from six of their last eight knockout games against English opposition and as well as that Manchester United are yet to win a game against Sevilla in any European competition drawn one, lost one in the Champions League and lost the Europa League semi-final in 2020
2: I'm going to kill that stat straight away Sean Okay. Show me United stats against Spanish teams before Ten Hag became manager.
1: It's a it's 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 a valid point, absolutely. But I think <laughs> this is where it stems. This is just this is why Sevilla's fans are looking at yeah. it and saying that United have been that little bit arrogant, or that little bit. And it is their,
2: it's their competition too.
1: It's their competition, but their manager is currently in Birmingham. You know, so it's uh, that, that those days are gone, unfortunately. But give me a scoreline. What are you thinking?
2: First leg, I'm going to say 3-1 United. 3-1 United. Okay, we'll take
1: that. We'll take that. And that would... uh, You, Sean, are you you optimistic? I think we're going to win. I think we're going to win. I had 2-0 in my head, so I'm going to stick with 2-0. I think we're going to overcome this little hoodoo that we have against Sevilla. And we're going to do it with a bit of style. I think it's going to be an entertaining game of football on probably a wet and dreary Manchester evening.
2: Just actually, before, before we wrap it up, I'm not going to ask you to name out your predicted 11. because We could get, be here for another 15 minutes to predict it. Yeah, yeah, Um, What do you expect Ten Hag to line up with up front, given that Rashford's going to be absent? And keeping in mind, I'm predicting three goals. You're predicting two. So we're suggesting that United won't have any problems on the goals scoring front, but I'd back that up by saying Ericsson and Casemiro's balls four are going to make a big difference to the team.
1: I reckon I could probably name the 11 now. And Go for it. I, I can do it in about 10 seconds. I reckon you're going to see De Gea, Malicia, Varane, Martinez, Juan Basaka, Casemiro, Eriksen, Bruno. And then you're going to have Sancho on the left wing. You're going to have Anthony in the right wing. And you'll have Anthony Martial starting up front.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. That'll be the team. And
1: I think that team will be more than enough to put at least two goals past Sevilla.
2: Martial first goal against his old team where it didn't quite work out for him that was one of the things actually the Seville fan picked up on how Martial was a bit of a disaster so I really hope Martial has a good night, good first and second leg That'd be fantastic for him as long as he can stay fit we have a player there for the rest of the season that can truly truly
1: help us and fingers crossed Mr Rashford is not injured for any sort of a lengthy period whatsoever Dale anyone listening to this surely knows where they can find us but where can everyone find you on social media?
2: You can find me on Twitter at O'Donnell Dale. You can follow Stratty News as well at Stretty News. And of course, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and ACAS.
1: Absolutely. And if you want to listen to the ramblings of a very, very old angry Irishman, you can get me at Sean Connolly 85 on Twitter. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, thank you for your ear. It's been splendid and we look forward to talking to you soon. Up the rise.
2: You big baby.